you when we're good to go. Uh, well, welcome back uh, and to the afternoon's session of our conference. Uh, this is Panel G, Phenomenology in Practice, and I'm pleased to be able to introduce uh, Marion Shah, who is going to talk to us about typical criminals, I think. Uh, uh, and there's a very long subtitle to her paper, but I'll <laughs> allow her to explain that as the paper goes on. Thank you. Thank you. So my name is Mariam, and my PhD focuses on criminal law. So phenomenology, for me, um, I'm going to be totally focusing on the practical elements of it, not the theoretical. So what I'm, I'm looking at is how types and type formation affects magistrates' decisions in courts in England. So there's a lot of research in many different fields um, relating to sentencing disparities. So, for example, if you have um, a female, a mother, and she is in court with shoplifting offences, so stealing from the shop, if she has no prior convictions, she is more likely to be discharged from court compared to a female who has a long history of offending or if she's drug um or alcohol dependent for similar or the same type of crime. So why is it different categories of people are treated differently for the same or similar offences? Now, as, as I mentioned, many different fields have, have looked at this and you have the actual event or the actual crime and areas such as psychology, sociology, anthropology and many other different ologies, they all postulate different theories. So for example, some say the more power you have, the more likely you are to use stereotypes to make your decisions in court. Um, some people say the establishment looks for working class people to criminalise and they use them as a scapegoat and consequently they're, they're more convicted compared to black male, middle class woman for various different reasons, race, gender, age, ethnicity, these are all postulated as reasons for why we have differences in sentencing. For example, if you're a black male, you're four times more likely than a, a white male to be stopped and searched. Why? Ministry of Justice said, this is because in London, there's a, divide, uh, sorry, there's a diverse demographic, you have a lot of ethnic minorities down there, but the same statistic is applicable in places like Bradford, which is predominantly Pakistani, or Cumbria, which is predominantly white. Why is it black males are four and one times more likely to be stopped and searched? However, stop and searches, if you're a white male and you're the one compared to the four which are stopped for, for black males, they say it's because you're working class. So why is it working class white males or more likely to be stopped and searched compared to middle-class white males, middle-class white females. Why is that? These theories, um, postulated by other areas, yeah, they, they bring some interesting thoughts, is valid research, but it's only looking at the end result. It's only telling you, basically, this quantity of people is affected by, by this crime. 
Why are black males, again, more likely to be remanded in custody compared to anyone else? The reason that I'm, I'm putting forward is phenomenology, type formation. Certain types are being used in courts by the police, by different categories of society to make decisions. Phenomenology is at the start of the chain and explains why this particular event occurs and how it occurs. So magistrates in England, they sit in benches of three. They've been around for 650 years and the lay people. Could be anyone here. You don't need any prior experience, you don't need any qualifications. It's anyone. When you're sworn in, you give an oath to say that you will do good to all manner of people, regardless of fear um, or threat. Meaning that you're going to be objective, you're going to make objective decisions, you're not going to be prejudicial to a certain category of person. Bias, all the decisions that are made, they want them to be objective. So you, magistrates are supposed to self-regulate themselves to keep their own biases in check and if they hear another magistrate, for example, using a certain biased opinion, that for example, if you know your national insurance number, you must be a criminal because national insurance numbers are often used in court for different reasons. Um, they do have limited discretion because they go through a workflow. They're given sentencing guidelines, so a shoplifting offence. If, is it below £250? Was it premeditated? Um, did they go equipped or did they go with foil lined bags? Did they use the children as part of the theft? Is this a sole incident? All these things are what they use to categorise what the offence is. But at the very end, they have limited discretion to either make the sentence more severe or more lenient. But interestingly, the current composition of magistrates in England is predominantly a white female, middle class, and I know she doesn't look quite old, but Magistrate Stacey is nearing retirement age. So this is a theory which is most relevant to, to my work, and it's type formation. It's formation of stereotypes. Why we think certain people are more inclined to do certain things. So in Magistrate Stacey's world, she has this day-to-day -day archetype, which is what phenomenology says all of us occupy. It's the natural attitude. It's all our, our pre-given knowledge, which we learn from the people we're around, from our family that we're indoctrinated with. We use that and we take for granted certain things as, as given. So when we stand at a bus stop, we expect a bus to arrive in a certain length of time. We then get onto the bus, we pay. These kind of things, the same taken for granted attitude. You expect things to work out in a certain way because that's what you've been taught. Now Magistrate Stacey has quite a, a limited <clears throat> sphere of reality. So to her, she's got the natural attitude, the archetype, which we all have. That gives us the assumptions that our experiences have validity in this world that we occupy. Um, we assume the world is, is constant. We don't expect anything totally out of the ordinary. One moment precedes the next. It's all a big chain which carries on. Um, but apart from that, when we move out of the natural attitude, which will come into next, we can move into our own separate spheres of reality. Now for every single person here, they will all be different. But for Magistrate Stacey, her 
cultural identity centres around Celine Dion. It's a love of the lifestyle icon, music, that's her culture. Her previous job was as a retail manager in a popular supermarket chain. She's a magistrate from an affluent lot. She is middle class, she lives in an affluent area, and the magistrates in that area are all similar to her. She's a really staunch Catholic and football. She supports Everton. She can't understand why anyone would support Accrington Stanley. She thinks anyone would, who would have an Accrington Stanley season ticket would solely be because they think, hmm, I may be able to see a decent football team come and play here. Only poor people support Accrington Stanley and buy those season tickets. And all of that information, that knowledge that she has, forms her types. So how she categorises different people that she comes across or meets. Now the knowledge that we have, um, short splits into two. So we've got knowledge about, which only forms a very small fraction of our entire knowledge base. This is what we're competent experts in. This is what we know, we've learnt ourselves. <coughs> Uh, possibly through research, like all of you guys are doing. Um, whereas knowledge of acquaintance, this is what we've picked up from our friends, from our parents. It's it's not firmly founded. So, for example, maybe your mum told you when you were a kid that if you eat your crust, your hair will grow curly, or don't speak to strangers. All these things we take for granted, knowledge of acquaintance. But how does this knowledge apply to who we are and what we understand? We take what we know in terms of what's relevant to us. So Schultz splits it into three, but that's, that's purely for heuristic purposes, just so that we can understand it's really just one form of relevance. So from what I'm seeing right now, you may take away nothing, you may take away the bits that are, are interesting to you, maybe about how different people are, are categorised in the criminal justice system. You may want to become a magistrate after this, I don't know. But whatever your motivation is for listening to this particular talk, that's what you'll take from what I'm saying. That's your motivation to listening from me. But everything that I've said, how you interpret that will be dependent on your spheres of reality, what you understand me to have said. Just to note, whatever I say, up to the point of it's relevant to you, you'll stop. If you feel that you need to learn anything else, You'll interpret it, again, up until your knowledge says that, yeah, this is enough, I don't need to know any more. And that's important for magistrates. <clears throat> because from their perspective, so magistrate Stacey, this is the case that she's presiding over, and these are all the different films or layers she puts over this particular case, the facts of the case, the experience that she's having of what she's seen in court. So through these lenses of her own experience, culture and history, and what she thinks she knows, that's what she implies onto what is presented in front of her. So it's important because nothing is gonna change how she sees a particular case or type of case, because it just carries along in the natural attitude. She thinks, for example, prostitutes that she's, she's dealt with in court, that they're always going to be dependent on drugs. If they're not typical prostitutes who are feeding the habit by committing these offences, then nothing else applies. She's not looking at forced uh, sexual slavery, she's not looking at anything else. And this view of hers will continue 
until something comes along to fundamentally question that belief. So maybe it's a, an underaged girl. It could be anything. Something comes which totally makes her think, whoa, I, I'm new to this situation. I don't know what this means. However, magistrates aren't expected to put all this information that they come with, all this baggage of information, onto the case. They're expected to have a more Husserlian perspective where they're cutting all of this subjective information and just purely looking at the facts. That's what they're expected to do. But in reality, from what Gadamer says, can you actually interpret anything without your own tainted perception? So your entire social world informs how you see something. So with that in mind, what we think we know, we take for granted as being true, accurate, and it applies to everyone, but we don't know what we don't know. So we'll just apply what we think we know and just carrying it on. But how can you make Magistrate Stacey understand a perspective other than her own? She's only ever gonna be able to see it through her own perspective, but you'll only be able to introduce something new through thorough training, and bringing in those diverse perspectives, different ethnic minorities, different ages, different genders, all these things um, should hopefully expand her world. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Opportunity for people to uh, ask questions. Mm. Thank you. I don't know, maybe it's misinterpreted, but it seems to me that it's very idiosyncratic in that you're trying to almost abstract the magistrate mm -hmm. in a kind of funny way by using Gadamer, but it's like prejudice is something that can be reinterpreted, it's not necessarily something that takes, that we're stuck with. Prejudice mm -hmm. conditions understanding, but it can change, it can be revised. So therefore, I'm just curious. You said we're all stuck with our biases, but our biases can be revised. So how do we how do we revise the prejudice? They can be revised as long as there's something which draws them into question. If there's nothing that draws them into question, how could there be how could there be any revision? Because you're gonna carry on asserting the same ideas without without question. Yeah. Um perspective, prejudice, you've got a a decision which informs your next but unless you have something that fundamentally challenges that, how can you bring in anything new? But that doesn't seem like a very hard thing to do. Right? It just seems to me that we just need to uh, have some kind of, for a magistrate or for a juror or whoever, you need to have some kind of, you need to have, you need to uh, introduce some kind of, and maybe this already exists, you just need to introduce some methods of educating them and, admit, and helping them come to realise their own biases and assumptions they make in informing their cases. That, that just doesn't seem like something that's okay. There's a practical application, but yeah. I think it could be solved easily but, enough. Okay, so for example, if I ask you, someone who shoplifts, what do you think would be a typical item that a shoplifter, a typical shoplifter, is most likely to steal? From your perspective, from your knowledge, your information, what would you think? I would don't be? know. Yeah, honestly, I don't just, know. Just a guess. No, I don't, I wouldn't even guess. I mean, I just. I don't know. guess. You're asking a philosopher, you're not, they're not. <laughs> <laughs>
So when I mentioned shoplifter, you said you wouldn't expect them to, to nick your wallet. What made you fundamentally hone in on wallet? types of that. I mean, yeah. it often it doesn't change opinions that there just become states of exception. They're just, and there's also the, the additional problem with people in, that deal with, especially law enforcement in areas like that, where you have desensitization. So that makes them less open to, over time, uh, they become less open. So there, there, there has been thought before, but it's never been really addressed about how do you resensitize people in respect to that kind of thing. But um, just just some like just some bumps and this there. It's not as valid, yeah. Matt. Okay. Um, I'm gonna say something that's gonna make me sound like a dictator. Um, I, I was really fascinated by your paper, but I want to ask: Is there an argument for re-education? 
And what I mean by that is, so if we say that presuppositions are something that we can't escape, yeah. it's impossible. What if you re-indoctrinate the magistrates with the official state ideology? And that way, <laughs> they're biased in the right way. And, I mean, I worked for Sky last year in a call centre, and they do that. So I worked in their cancellations team, which is applicably in their sales team, because our job is to really like Sky and get people to stay with Sky. And, I mean, every time I've worked in a large company like that, all you hear for the first two or three weeks of training is, this is a great place to work. This is a great place to work. They're, they're really nice to you. This is a great job. And there's just, I mean, I think these people believe it, but, you know, there's just constant, constant enforcement of a certain perception. So could you not train the magistrates to, I mean, I guess that's, I mean, it's because they're lay people, you can't spend that much money on them. But, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's probably a bit of a silly question, but is there an argument for just re-educating people? I think you've got a really valid point, and that kind of process is happening in the retiring rooms anyway. So when, when magistrates all get together, they're talking about the cases and reaffirming the same kind of ideas for that area. But they're also indoctrinated with the belief that you should not be uh, biased to any kind of person. You have to be totally objective. But if, that, if that's the case, how can you possibly mention a bias or question someone's bias because everyone's objective and everyone doesn't have that ideology? But if you had different people from different backgrounds, not state-sponsored, <laughs> then they may provide a different perspective because you've got a very homogenous bench across all of England. But the, the ethnic com communities which are you know, obviously being affected by this, there's no representation. There's no way where you can bridge this homogenous uh, magistracy with everyday job, whatever his background is. How do you bridge that? So I would say possibly some re-education in different cultural values, different ideologies. But that is a, a very valid point. Thank you. Worse. Thank you very much. An opportunity for us to thank Marion for a paper that he started.